0: The first epistle of John, chapter 4, starting to read at verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Kind of sounds like it's one or the other. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. The help of the lord this morning i want to minister about a different kind of greatness a different kind of greatness the apostle john writes to us here uh, it is generally considered although we don't know exactly that john's letters were some of the last writings in the first century that were collated into what we have as the word of god and he told us that we are not to believe every spirit and he said that we are to try the spirits or to test them or to examine them to establish whether or not they're from God. Seems like good advice. That statement in isolation kind of sounds a little bit like we're, we're constantly speaking to spirits or demons and, and trying to work out who they are and where they come from. And let me say this, there are certainly times when we need to be aware of particular spiritual activity and we need to respond accordingly. Jesus spoke to evil spirits and he cast them out. But when Jesus spoke to evil spirits and he cast them out, they presented themselves to him in human vessels. They were not ghost-like figures that floated around, but he spoke to people that had been possessed or taken advantage of because of their sins and their weaknesses. And the apostle here in his epistle is also warning us about the same thing because the reason... That we need to try the spirits is that there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. It is, to me, very sobering to realize that while still in the first century, there are already many false prophets gone out into the world. Still almost within reach of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Still only a generation, you might say, or at the end of John's generation, he didn't say there were a couple of problems. He said there were many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And John's concerns were with the spirits that were either behind or motivating these false prophets and their message. When he talked to us about testing the spirits, what he was encouraging us to do was to examine the spirit of a prophet or a preacher and whether or not they confessed or believed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, again, if you read over that quickly... It can just seem a light thing and you may not grasp what he was saying. But what John was saying is we need to examine whether or not they believe. It's more than just whether or not they believe there was a man named Jesus that lived. It's more than just whether or not they believe that Jesus was a prophet or a teacher from God. The question, the test was more than whether or not they believe that Jesus was a delegate or an ambassador or a junior official because the same John that wrote that epistle wrote to us in his gospel and told us that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He recorded that Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That Jesus said, I and my father are one. And that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And at the end of his gospel, John recorded Thomas, the apostle who wasn't with everybody else when Jesus first appeared to them and they said hey Jesus has risen from the dead and Thomas said I won't believe it unless I can put my hand in the hole in his side and put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and the Bible says that Jesus appeared and said to Thomas here I am Tom here's my hands here's my side and the scripture says that Thomas just said my Lord and my God Amen so what John was telling us that if we want to know if the spirit of a prophet is in tune with the spirit of God, what they will confess is that God was manifest in the flesh, that in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and that the one God of the Shema of the Old Testament, that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, is still the one God of the New Testament church. He is still the chief cornerstone, He is still, everything that we build must be measured from Him and to Him and through Him. Amen. Do you want to know how you test the spirits and test the spirit of a prophet? Ask them who the man from Galilee was. That's how you find out if they're in touch with the Spirit of God. Amen. You know something? The devils know. It's what the Bible says. You know, they pass that test every time. They know who Jesus was. They know who Jesus is. When you ask the devils how many gods there are, they know very clearly that there is only one, and he terrifies them. Hallelujah. But we have already got the victory, we have already overcome, because of the spirit that is within us is greater than that spirit of Antichrist that's in the world. That's the context, and we read verse 4 on its own. We, you know, There's nothing wrong with having a verse to hang on to, but... The context gives it power. Amen. The Bible's telling us that if you have the Holy Ghost, that there is something greater that is in you. Something greater that is in you. Unfortunately, in this world, man is interested in his own greatness. That's not a current-day phenomenon. That's uh, been around just about as long as man has been around. That man would desire praise and glory in his own self. That would man would be interested in his own greatness. And if you take the time to search online, if you use Google or whatever is your search engine of choice, you will find that there are many, many books, seminars. I did it in the last couple of days. Podcasts, inspirational speakers. There are businesses, there are companies, and they all want to offer you the secret, the technique, the mindset, or the step-by-step plan To unlock your own greatness. Look it up. There's books. Everybody wants you to unlock your own greatness. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) Sounds great. But it is an incredibly humanistic philosophy that we believe that we have greatness within us and that somehow we can harness that naturally, that we are the masters of our own destiny and we can somehow come to realize just how amazing we really are. And we can really be. It is really, it is the pinnacle of idol worship. That's really what it is. It is worship of self is the pinnacle of idol worship that we who were created to reflect Him would desire to be reflected upon. It is the pinnacle of idol worship. It's not as graphic and as ugly as some of the idols that men have made with their own hands. But in the sight of God, man's... Pride and self-exaltation is really the pinnacle of idol worship. This morning we're talking about a different kind of greatness. Psalm 86, starting at verse 10. We used to sing these verses when I was a kid. and I'm not going to sing them now, but I reckon we might one service. So be warned, music director. Verse 10 says, for thou art great. Thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. He's the one that is great. Not you, not me, but he is the one that is great. That's why the Apostle John said, Greater is he, not greater are ye. He said, Greater is he. That is in you. It's not us. Matthew chapter 11. Give you a moment to turn there. We're going to read a passage here. Matthew 11, starting at verse 1. says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou? He that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily or truly I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist, not the apostle. Different John. John the Baptist is in prison. He has lived his life for one purpose. One purpose. To prepare the way of the Lord... To prepare the coming of the Messiah and he would have been an unusual child you know at family gatherings when everybody came around what, what do all your relatives always do when you're a kid what do you want to be when you grow up Well, the they always ask like you know when you're 10 years old you know some people want to be firemen some people want to be astronauts John the Baptist I'm going to be the voice crying in the wilderness and they're like okay you got a strange one there you got to keep an eye on him he knew his purpose he was designated to that purpose before he was even born but now he's in prison the the son you could say is setting on his ministry and sadly on his life and he sends a message to Jesus and he says are you the one are you the one has my life served its purpose you know there are some commentators that suggest that Within that question, there was another question that wasn't spoken. That was, are you going to come and deliver me, Lord? I'm in prison. And Jesus told John's disciples, tell John what you hear and see. The blind can see. The lame are walking. The lepers are being cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he that is not offended in me. Jesus' message was letting John know you've done exactly what God required of you. You filled your purpose. Your ministry is complete. You have prepared the way. And he said, now if people will not be offended at my message, they shall be blessed. And if we think John had a question that was unspoken, perhaps Jesus had one in his answer. I'm not coming, John. I'm not going to come and get you out of prison. And as the disciples of John leave to deliver the message to their master, Jesus turns to the crowd, which by this stage, the Bible says, has become a multitude. And when I read the text, maybe it's my imagination, but I can hear the emotion in Jesus' voice as he speaks about John the Baptist, knowing that his life is soon coming to an end. And he turns to the crowd and almost with a challenge, he says to them, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? What did you really expect? And you heard about this man and his ministry and what he was doing out there by the River Jordan. What was it you went out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Somebody that was so easily tossed to and fro, easily thrown off course or easily discouraged? He said, not John. Not John. He held his course. He kept to his task. Did you look for a man who was focused on the comforts of life, soft clothes and nice houses? Not John. Who lived in the desert in harsh conditions, in a camel's hair garment. He was, it was like he was deliberately in discomfort to serve the purpose of his message and his ministry. And Jesus said, You think he might have been a prophet? And the Lord said he was so much more than a prophet. And then Jesus, in case anybody was questioning where John fitted into the plan of God, Jesus made it very clear. He reached back to the prophets Isaiah and Malachi in the Old Testament, he identified John the Baptist clearly as the fulfillment of the prophecy about the messenger, about the one who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus said that there has never been anybody born before that was greater than John the Baptist. That's a statement. He did not say that John the Baptist was greater than everybody before him, he just said that he was, he was in the top shelf. He was there. He, Jesus put him among Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, the prophet Samuel, Abraham. Jesus put John the Baptist in that kind of, what we would consider rare air. And we would think, wow, what a thing to say. But then, in almost contradictory fashion, Jesus says, notwithstanding or however... He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, those comments seem to be counterintuitive. They seem to be opposing one another. But when you understand what Jesus was saying, it's not really a comparison between John the Baptist as an individual and another individual who's in the kingdom of God. What it is is a comparison between the experience that John the Baptist was able to have and the things that he was able to experience with those that would come on the other side of Calvary and the experience that they would have. It wasn't about ranking people. That certainly was not what it was about. John was anointed with the Spirit of God. He was called by God. He had divine purpose. And the Scripture even says that he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now I don't profess to be able to unpack to you all of exactly what that meant but it was not the same as when they were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost because John was before Calvary. Calvary had to happen before Pentecost could happen and so exactly whatever John the Baptist's experience was and you theologians can talk about that he was chosen by God, he was anointed by God and no one was greater than him in the sight of God but when you and I receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when our children in the youth receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they have an experience that John the Baptist could only begin to imagine. Jesus is not comparing people and saying, well, you're better than this person. Lord forbid if he came in here and did that, we'd all be horrified. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when the Holy Ghost is poured out, people are going to have a greater experience, John, than you or anybody else in the Old Testament ever had. Amen. In fact, we see this same concept in 1 Peter. It's in chapter 1 if you want to read it later, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, round about verses 10 to 12, the Bible tells us that the prophets that wrote in the Old Testament, they wrote as the Spirit of God moved on them to write, and that as they wrote, they were trying to understand what they were writing, but the thing that they did understand was that it was in the future. It wasn't in their lifetime. It was things that were yet to come. That was down the track. And so they wrote by faith that God was inspiring them, not really understanding the fulfillment. Things such as how Christ would suffer, what that suffering would achieve. I, I can't even imagine what it was like for Isaiah to write, he was wounded for our transgressions. 700 something years before Jesus was crucified. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and saying, Lord, I don't really understand all of this, but I'm writing it anyway because that's what you're telling me to do. The things that, that suffering would achieve, the things that the death, burial, and resurrection would make available to mankind. These things that are so amazing that Peter went on to say that even the angels try to look into them. Now, that means, that means the angels want to understand. What are you doing, God? What is it you're making available? to these people, to humanity, because the angels, since they were created, dwell in His presence. But since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those that believe and obey His presence dwells in us. And the angels know that they feel the presence of God, but they're trying to understand how it is in those that are born again of water and spirit. Hallelujah. Talking about a different kind of greatness. Today, John chapter 14. John 14, starting at verse 6. I Many of you could quote some of these verses. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. From henceforth you know him and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, Lord. Philip's struggling a little bit, you know, like when you're sitting in calculus at high school and it doesn't make any sense. Philip's saying, Lord, show us the Father. And it suffices us. Lord, that'll be enough, Lord. And Jesus saith to him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And the Lord said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now remember, at the start of this this morning, John, the Apostle, not the Baptist. We've got some revolving Johns here. But John, the Apostle, told us the way we test the spirits of the prophets is about asking them about, is Jesus Christ come in the flesh? It's the same apostle that records this conversation. And Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He said, nobody gets to God but by me. In other places, he spoke about being the door. And he said, if 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 you know that, you, you should have known my father. You should realize that you know him and you've seen him. Then we have that conversation with Philip where Philip's, Philip's head's hurting a little bit. He says, Lord, just show us the Father, Lord, and we'll be okay. That'll that'll be enough for us. We'll we'll work the rest out later. And, And the Lord's like, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you haven't known me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. And what is what I feel is really powerful about this passage is that Jesus makes a direct connection between his identity, between his words and his works, or his actions. He connects all three of those together. Amen. Because then Jesus says that if you believe on me, or who I am, and what I say, and what I do, then you shall do the same works, and you shall do greater works than these. Now, I've heard that verse preached, to build faith, and I'm all for building faith. But I've heard that verse preached that we shall do greater miracles than Jesus did. or We shall do more miracles than Jesus did. But let's consider that for a moment. Jesus healed the sick. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. He had supernatural knowledge about situations. He miraculously fed a multitude more than once. He raised the dead. It, it seems to me as though he pretty well covered all the bases there weren't, weren't any categories that he didn't take care of there's not really anything i can think of and say well lord there was there was this miracle that you managed to leave out he covered healing whether we're talking about physical or spiritual he he he, he did it all he did it all and so i i certainly don't think that verse can imply that the things that we're going to do that are greater are, you know more special miracles are we going to come up with some whiz-bang thing that Jesus wasn't able to do? And I don't think, you know, we also, we have no idea how many people Jesus healed. We don't. We have no idea. Quite a few times in the scripture, the Bible says, he went to such and such a place, they brought everybody that was sick. They emptied every doctor's surgery, every old people's home, every hospital. They brought them all. And the Bible just says he healed them. All of them. Just healed them. How many? Who knows? So I I don't think the greater is numerical. I don't think Jesus is saying that we need to keep a tally and when we hit a certain number that we've done greater things than he did. I don't think that's what it's about. But I think the key to understanding this passage is in the final statement of verse 12 where Jesus said we're going to do those things and greater things. Why? He said because I go to my Father. Why is that significant? What was going to happen when Jesus ascended to heaven? What was going to happen? The Comforter was going to come. Same chapter. The Comforter was going to come. The Holy Ghost was going to be poured out. That's the context of John chapter 14. Jesus was saying, when I get done doing what I came here to get done, there are things that are going to happen that are greater than what's already happened. Amen. John the Baptist You were incredible. You were an awesome prophet, man of God. But your ministry and what happened cannot compare to what is going to happen after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Even little kids, we see it upstairs from time to time, even little kids worshipping Jesus in simple faith are going to receive something greater than any miracle Jesus did in his earthly ministry. That's not being disrespectful to the Lord or irreverent. That's exactly what he said would happen. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. When you and I lay hands on the sick and they recover, have we healed them by our own power? Absolutely not. It's the power of God. Every time. It was provided through his sacrifice, His power in his name. When we lay hands on somebody and they receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, did we give them the Spirit? I've never given anybody the Holy Ghost in my life. I had enough trouble getting it for myself. We don't give anybody the Holy Ghost. But by the goodness of God, we are invited to be involved in declaring who He is, what He said, and what He can do. Amen. And if He decides, and it's up to Him, I don't think it's what He said in His Word, but if He decides to stop healing our bodies... That's up to him. He decides that's stop for whatever reason. But Lord, please keep pouring out your spirit. Please keep filling people with the Holy Ghost. You want to know what the greater things are? What's greater than getting healing in your body? What's greater than having your lunch more actually provided for or having somebody delivered from a demon spirit? Or what's greater? It is to be filled with the spirit of God. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. I that's why in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord said, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses under me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. We're talking about a different kind of greatness. Amen. We're going to be... When we have the Holy Ghost, there's going to be a power that resides in us, that will enable us to declare who he is, what he said, and what he can do. Amen. I if that's not the greater works that Jesus was talking about, then I'm I'm confused. But I believe Jesus was saying, when I go to the cross, when they bury me in that tomb, when I rise again and I pour out my spirit, the church is going to enter into a, a period of history, into a season that has never been seen before where people are filled with the Holy Ghost before they even realize what the Holy Ghost is. People respond to the preaching of God's Word. They lift their hands, they begin to pray, and God fills them with the Holy Ghost. Nobody's done a Bible study. But that's a whole lot more important than getting our bodies healed. When Paul came to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, found some believers, you don't find him saying, do you have any illnesses you need me to pray for? Is there any particular needs you want me to Probably was His first question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you received the Holy Ghost? How, this is a different kind of greatness. This is not about unlocking the greatness in us. We don't have any of our own to unlock. I'm sorry for all those people in the world that think we do. But it is the greatness that is from Him that is in us. And that makes it greater than He that is in the world. We are not drawing attention to ourselves. We are not doing that, God forbid. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Stand with me if you would this morning. If I could have somebody on the piano, please. I use this passage a lot because it's powerful and we need to remember it. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Then it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. One modern translation says jars of clay. You and I, roughly fashioned mud balls. (laughs) But we have a treasure in us that is designed and purposed to draw attention to him, not us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. If we're getting attention, something's wrong. If people are saying you're amazing, something's wrong. But if we can say, look what my God has done. Have you received the Holy Ghost? Do you know what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God? How great is our God? How great Is our God. It's not about He makes you great, but He said, greater is He that is within you. Even when He fills us, it's still His greatness. It's not ours. In fact, you know what He said? Just to make sure, in case we got a bit carried away with our own importance, He said, those amongst you that would be the greatest, let Him serve everybody else. That's how He measures greatness. You want to be great? Serve. That is so contrary to flesh. But that's how he measures greatness. And really that's what John the Baptist did. Laid aside his own plans, his own life. And for just a short season, seems it was only possibly a matter of months, he went out and endured the wilderness and said, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He said, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. The latchet of his shoe, I'm not even worthy to loosen. He said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You know, I've read that so many times. How did John even know there was a Holy Ghost? The Spirit of God was on him as he ministered, and he prophesied about what Jesus would do. This morning, I'm not here to try to help you to unlock your own greatness. That's what you're after. You're in the wrong place. But there is somebody that wants to put some of His greatness in us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just lift our hands for Him. I feel the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, help us to understand the power that you are giving us through your Spirit, Lord God, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's hot this morning. But if you feel like you need the Lord to refresh that earthen vessel, if you feel like it needs a refilling, maybe a rinse and a refill, I, I don't know what your need is, but God is here. Talking about a different kind of greatness. The world doesn't see it. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God, I pray pour out your spirit this morning. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be about exalting and magnifying you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this house today, Lord, if there are things we need to make right, Lord, if there are things... We need to surrender unto you, that we need to place at your feet at this altar so that your spirit can flow unhindered. And God, I pray, reach for our hearts this morning.